Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual success stories because unusual times call for unusual success stories. And we are living in some very unusual times here, folks. My guest today is an incredible woman, Molly Engelhart of Soa Heart Farm. She's a longtime food entrepreneur. She created a chain of successful vegan restaurants called Sage Vegan Bistro. When the pandemic hit, she shifted her business model using her regenerative organic farm to sell CSA boxes directly to the SoCal community, myself included. Her message is vitally important right now, not only for how we can financially support local businesses that matter, but how we need to change how we think about where our food comes from for our health and for the planet. So joining me now, Molly Engelhart of Soa Heart Farm. Molly Engelhart, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today. So happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. So I think you have a very unusual story. The whole purpose of this podcast is unusual times call for unusual stories. And I want to showcase success stories that are a bit different, that are outside the box, where people are doing different things, um, and also with a bit of a mission behind them. So maybe a lot of people don't know this about me, but I have been, you know, vegan, vegetarian for many, many years. Um, and I recently discovered your Sour Heart Farm CSA box at the beginning of this pandemic. And it was the greatest thing ever for me and my wife. So I was like, I have to get in on this. Um, so <laughs> that's why I reached out. Uh, so that actually the farm box came out of the pandemic. Like I had had a thought to... Uh, do a CSA box for a long time, but I'm running the restaurants. I'm the chef and owner from Sage Vegan Bistro. And so I'm busy running restaurants and I growing food for my farm. I mean, for, from the farm for the restaurants. And then we're bringing all the compost back to the farm. And that was really the cycle the closing the food loop. And that was what was important. And I kept as an auxiliary thought like, oh, I should have a CSA box. That would be so good. We should start a CSA box. And we would talk about it, but it wouldn't, nothing would happen. And right after the pandemic started and the stores were closed or try to like adjust and should we sell toilet paper or what should we do? Like, um, yeah. one of my farmers that I've been working with for a long time, buying food for the restaurants came in and he said, it's like really bad. We, when are we going to be ordering the same amount of food that we were ordering before. Uh, so I was like, well, we're just going to have to, you know, get along. And he was like, I can't, like you guys usually order 20 boxes of kale and you're ordering four or five boxes of kale. Yeah. And so I said, well, Diego, let's figure out what we could do together. And so we started doing the CSA box out of that necessity to support this other farm. So it's Anna Ayala Farms and Soul Heart Farms, and we do the box together. Um, and so it's half produce grown on their farm and half produce grown on my farm. And um, I am in Fillmore, so I'm a little bit more farther away from the ocean than they are. And they're right in Oxnard, so they're right on the ocean. So the things that I can't grow, they can grow. We have two different little microclimates. So it's been working out really, really well. We texting every day what we have, what we, how many boxes we have for the next day. Okay, I can do this, this, and this. And like right now, we both have broccoli or we both have cauliflower. So we'll say, I'll do the kale tomorrow. You do the kale on Friday. And we're doing it 50-50 and we're splitting the money 50-50. We each have one driver. So every day there's two people doing deliveries. My office staff is doing all of the ordering and all of the responding and 
posting and all of that on Instagram and all and uh, to doing the the lists for the farmers to pick and everything like that. And his farm team is packing the boxes. So that's how uh, we've done it. And it just was like an impromptu business together uh, with Anna and Victor are older. And these are their kids actually that are doing it with me. They uh, speak perfect English and they uh, were really entrepreneurial to want to help out their family during this time. So they're in their twenties. And the, so the, we, the four of us have been doing it, my husband and them mostly uh, people have been really excited, but some people are very like upset that something doesn't look perfect or something doesn't uh, look exactly how it would look in the grocery store. And it's been a really good educational opportunity for me and with our customers to just say, well, do you know that only 40% of produce makes it to the grocery stores and then 30% of that gets thrown away. Mm. And so it is it important for the skin of an orange to look perfect or is it okay for there to be a scarring where a branch was brushling, rustling against yes. the skin when you're going to peel that skin away, throw it in the compost, hopefully, and, and eat the inside of the inside is totally perfect. And so uh, it's been an opportunity to educate people and talk to people. And I started making videos on Instagram on the saw heart farm, Instagram and talking about, everything about food waste, about composting. And so it's been really exciting because people are getting excited or getting involved. People have brought their kids to the farm, want to do farm tours, like want to see where their food is growing. And so I think that at the beginning of the lockdown, when people went to the grocery store and there was no food, they got abruptly related to how finite our food system is. Uh. And I'm not sure how people feel about the centralization of the food system, but I'm not for it. I think that the centralization of the banking system was not good. And I right. also centralization of our food system is not good. And that we don't want to only eat seven vegetables and we don't want to only eat three grains. I think that yeah. we have more different kinds of food. And so, um, Every week, people Instagram me, what's this? I've never seen this before. Can, can you tell me what this herb is? Why do you give us this? What can I do with this? And it's been awesome. And people are like, oh, my God, I never had olive leaf tea. And I looked it up. And it's olive leaf is good for so many things. And you send olive leaves every week to make tea. So it's been really fun. And it's been very interactive with our customers. Well, that's that's really wonderful. I mean, I want to get into all of the things you just said. That is all really awesome. But but first, but first, give us an overview of your professional career up till this point. Just give us a quick highlight reel, like who are you, what are you all about, what's your career? My name's Molly Englehart, and I'm a vegan <laughs> chef. Uh, I I started out in urban music. I was in the urban A and R, and then had an urban, uh, and then I had a recording studio. Music industry crashed boom, into the dumps and I became a poet. I did HBO deaf poetry. I toured around the country doing poetry. And then I became a pot grower. I was a very successful pot grower. There was even a weed named after me, Valley Girl Kush. I'm not even from the Valley or anything. But anyways, that happened. And then I 
my brother-in-law went to prison. I didn't want to go to prison. So I decided to do something different. Me and my best friend opened an ice cream shop. It was called Nice Cream Vegan Ice Cream. Then we got sued. So it was changed to Kind Cream. And we opened this ice cream shop, vegan ice cream, a little too narrow. And we expanded. We opened a few more. That didn't work. We opened Sage in Echo Park, Sage in Culver City, Sage in Pasadena. My best yeah. friend and business partner died of cancer in 2018. I'm sorry. It was uh, terrible. And yeah. um, so we were like had done everything together. Our whole business was together. And that happened. And in 2018 is also when I moved to the farm. I really was committed to, I learned about food waste and how it was such a huge problem. And that people talk about, oh, don't eat meat because the cow's farts make methane. But when you read about what the actual, like really big source of methane is, it's food waste and biomass going into the landfills, not composting properly. Mm. And um, Culver City doesn't have a compost option. And so I really wanted to make a closed loop. And so I bought this farm in order to compost. I'm, and I sit on the board of directors of Kiss the Ground, which is a nonprofit that trains farmers and raises awareness around regenerative agriculture and how we can reverse climate change through our agricultural practices. Yeah. And we just had a film come out on Netflix called Kiss the Ground. Uh, and it's uh, narrated by Woody Harrelson and, it's right on there right now. People can watch yeah. it. And uh, and then obviously we were going to grow food for the restaurants if we had a farm. And so we had the whole compost closed loop thing going and then COVID hit. We started the CSA boxes and now you can get this delicious yeah. dense food delivered to your house. Every Which week. is the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, it's like it's better than Christmas. Truthfully, getting this thing. We get it every week. It's better than Christmas. Um I had no idea what we were missing, but yeah, we'll we'll get into more of that in a second. Um, so, are you yourself vegan, or do you eat primarily vegan? Are you one hundred percent vegan? Um, I am not one hundred percent vegan. I've never eaten meat in my whole life. I was oh, okay. raised, um, I was raised vegan. My dad owns Cafe Gratitude, um, okay. and oh, wow. I've always eaten honey. My parents. So I was raised vegan, except for we ate butter because my mom one time put margarine in the oven and it turned to plastic. And so then she was like, fuck margarine. Yeah. I don't want that. It was like, and so then we went back to eating butter, which was weird. And then um, in college, I became a vegetarian because I was on the food program and on the lunch, like the only vegetarian thing was a veggie burger. And it was like the traditional veggie burger that had cheese in it. Remember like the garden yeah, burger, which are terrible. Yeah. But that was like the main lunch item mm -hmm. on the college campus. So, and my boyfriend really liked Boston Market, which was disgusting. And That's the only also true, the only vegetarian things I could eat there were like the mashed potatoes and the mac and cheese. So, high college, I was like a terrible not vegan. I was a vegetarian. And then I went back fairly militant after college. I re uh, there was that documentary eating and. It, scared me back to veganism and um and then I got married to a indigenous Mexican man from Oaxaca uh in my second marriage who's my current marriage my current husband and he wasn't with the raising the kids vegan and mm. so we went 
a compromise of vegetarian, but I wasn't with the buying the eggs from the grocery store. And that meant having chickens in Granada Hills. So when we first got married, I had chickens in Granada Hills, backyard chickens. Um, and then, um, so that is, uh, to bring us to now, I don't eat eggs. I don't like eggs. Um, I didn't ever eat them growing up cause we were vegan and they taste kind of farty to me, but they are, they taste like they smell, which is like farts. Yeah. But if I make pancakes for the kids or brownies or something, I won't be like, Oh my God, I need to make a separate one. Um, for me or whatever, you know, I'll finish my kids food. You're right. a parent, right? Eat yes, like scraps. I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> scraps of child food that is vegetarian and not vegan. Mm. But if I'm and out in the world, we're all vegan. Um, and my husband is not even vegetarian, but he only eats like me every occasionally. And it's very like somehow he feels good about how it was sourced. And I and it's on a very rare thing and there's no meat in the house. They have, have to cook it outside and all of that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm not. I'm trying to raise my kids with to be able to make the choice when they're older, like they're vegetarian now and they understand that the chickens lay the eggs, they go collect the eggs. And um, we had a neighbor with a dairy goat and we would watch them milk the goat. And so I'm trying to have them understand and make the choices for themselves and not, uh, not like just indoctrinate them with like meat is bad or, meat is good or like we try me and my husband try to just like not um that like we we want to be clear they've seen dead animals here on the farm a coyote killed a sheep and a goat the other day and my kids went out and looked at it and I was like this is when people say like I'm eating goat or they're having barbacoa this is what they would be eating and you know I like explaining so they understand and that it's their choice not like there's one right way. And I used to be really didactic in my veganism. Like this is the only way if you're not vegan, you don't give a fuck about the environment. Um, Which people love. Everybody loves that train of thought. <laughs> I've noticed, right? Especially family uh, members. Everybody responds so well to those types of arguments. I've noticed. It's not true. Like, so yeah. does that mean like the vegan living in wherever, like, you know, working at their job, like making clothes for a Walmart or whatever, eating their oat milk mm. latte is somehow has an authority over right. the, the person raising Buffalo on the plains and like killing four Buffalo a year as to grow their herd, like whatever, like that's not true. And that, and that's what I learned as being on the board of kiss the ground is that, regenerative farming does include animals and and that how much more carbon you can sequester by doing holistic planned grazing and why the plains in, in Africa, the plains in the United States the plains, have always had bovine and through the dry season and they don't stay and they don't eat it down to nothing. They eat, they poop, they pee, they move on to more food and then the rains come and then, and this is like the cycle. And I love my people. I love my vegans. And, I, I, but sometimes I think that we're disconnected mm. from nature and the cycle. People say, you eat honey, stealing it from the bees. And I say, okay, I'm so 
pro finding a way to not use bees for pollination. But as of right now, as far as I can tell, the only structure in place that pollinates 63% of the average person's diet, but you're vegan. So let's say 80 something percent of your diet is pollinated by bees. And if you don't have integrous beekeepers caring for the bees on land, that's not being sprayed with glyphosate and all of this stuff, then how exactly are we going to protect and save the bees? And then my next question is, and how does that beekeeper get paid? Are you starting a nonprofit for beekeepers? Because if you want to start a nonprofit beekeeping where you move bees from farm to farm or you keep bees stationarily on farms and you don't collect their honey, then I'm all for it. And I'll give a 1%, 10%, whatever of my profits to you. But until then, I suggest that you fucking buy some local honey and support a good beekeeper if you want food in 20 years from now, 30 years from now. And are you eating at some regular restaurant that's serving food that was sprayed with fungicides and glyphosate and petroleum-based fertilizers that are killing the bees at super high rates and telling me how I'm eating bee vomit? I'm sorry. You're out of touch with the cycle of life. And so that's my thing. I'm so pro people caring about animals. But I also want people to be based in reality and know that there's going to be lots of different people that are going to be their partners. Like if you live on a half acre and you grow all your own food on your own half acre and you have rabbits or whatever and you're, you're eating 100% on your half acre, that person is my partner for a better future. Mm. And if you're doing holistic plan grazing of buffalo on the plains and bringing back grasslands to places that we've desertified, you are my partner. And if you are living in LA and you're only eating vegan food and you're trying to buy from your local farmers at the farmer's market, you are my partner. These are all people that are my partners. I don't know why we want to create division between the vegans, the vegetarians, the regenitarians, the environmentalist like what is the separation going to do bring them all in bring them all in i'm 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 all of their partner i want to hold all their hands and move to the future more healthily for animals and human beings i completely agree with you and i think that the funny thing is this notion of all or nothing i don't know where that comes from we don't have an all or nothing attitude in any other aspect of our life you know like if you're if I could tell you your car would go twice as fast, you'd say, but it can't go like infinitely fast. So it sucks. You know, it's relative. People are like, oh, you eat meat one day a week or something like that. Therefore, you're a failure. But it's like, well, what about the six? T- you know, there's there. I agree that there's steps. That there's, there's steps. Right. Um, I, I've never understood that. Or you do all these other things, but your belt is made from leather. So you're a piece of shit. <laughs> like that's I've never understood that logic. But um, one of the, you know, one of the coolest things about your story is that you've combined entrepreneurship with this great cause because you've, you've obviously been building businesses this whole time. Did you start out with at what point in your life did you think I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to be doing something with food professionally instead of just as a hobby? I mean that when I didn't want to go to jail. (laughs) Okay. So it's literally that because you're working with plants. So you knew. And I always felt like growing pot, growing organic pot was a pretty sustainable business. And like, you really didn't use that much 
garbage for how much money you could create. And now pot prices are kind of in the shitter, but you know, um, I mean, back then you, you would, you could bring in $4,000 and like the only plastic you would use was like one Turkey bag or one vacuum seal bag. Like it was, I felt like the amount of garbage that I have to make for $4,000 in the restaurant was, is a lot. And so I was really happy growing pot and, and I, and I felt good about it. And I felt like it made a difference in the world, but the world changed, pot laws changed, the prices changed, the 2008 housing market crashed, everybody and their mother started growing pot and crashed the prices because everybody was desperate because they had spent their last money to try to save their house to grow, have us grow up in their garage and all of a sudden they're just selling. And so there was no camaraderie among growers and um, my brother-in-law got arrested and went to prison and I was mm. like, oh, I'm gonna make vegan ice cream. Um, yeah. Funny thing is my mom was mad. She was like, you're going into the system. And I was like, said no mother ever when their daughter stopped selling drugs and started selling. <laughs> That's so How dare you make a vegan ice cream restaurant? Was like, how much garbage? How, what, how much garbage are you eco-friendly spoons that are made out of cornstarch? They never break down. So my mother was just like, not with it. Uh, so that's my mother though. You got to love her. So I always knew I did it. I wanted to make a difference. And I always knew I didn't want to do something that was environmentally uh, impactful. And I knew I was good at food and my best friend got pregnant and we were just trying to figure out my brother-in-law was arrested. She was just had a baby. We we're like, what could we do? And then we were literally like, it was like that, like, well, we should watch Sons of Anarchy tonight and then let's have a little powwow of what we could do with our lives. Mm -hmm. our, Sons of Anarchy was our show back then. And like, we just, um, I don't know, we decided to do a vegan ice cream shop. And I was vegan, so it made sense that I would do something vegan. And uh, I was always really into gardening too. I had, I always had, grew a lot of food. I had like 50 fruit trees. I think we got in trouble with the ice cream shop because I said an interview that we used fruit from one of my fruit trees in my yard uh, in Granada Hills in like a magazine, in a thing for the LA Times. And then the health department called us and was like, you can't do that. I was like, I didn't know. Okay, we won't use the mm. fruit from the yard tree. Um, but funny. so I was always really into that. And this is just like that taking on shape form and experience in a more uh, mm -hmm. fully expressed way. And, um, I, yeah, I, I've always known I was going to be an entrepreneur. I like set up a lemonade stand like four days a week when I was growing up. Like every, my that's always like, the hallmark, right? It's always a lemonade stand. You don't do that, you're screwed. I always had a lemonade stand. Okay, so you're um, making and, money uh, <laughs> with food. Um, I always knew, and I wanted. The yeah, funny thing is, I wanted to open a restaurant. My parents had this um, clothing company, and it was in our barn was the factory. And so we had renovated this huge old barn in upstate New York. And I was like, always telling my mom, like, let me open a restaurant and sell lunch to your employees. And she was like, no, they're going to feel obligated to buy your food. And what are you even going to make for them? And back then, like, I don't know, my food was not good. It was like, I break tacos in half and put beans and vegan cheese and melt it in the toaster oven. But uh, I, I thought I was a good cook back then. But so I, I always was visioning about a restaurant since I was a little kid. So 
uh, that uh, just the way we took a roundabout route through the music industry to get there, but <laughs> right. I, which I did I not mean, know. Very fascinating. And, you know, it's also funny because my dad owns Cafe Gratitude, which mm. is like another big vegan restaurant. So, that's a I, hot spot here in L.A. Well, I should say it was, I don't know, is in the pandemic. What is anything anymore in the restaurant business? Talking about like, what is a hot spot during the pandemic where <laughs> yeah. you can't Right. It was once a very well-known hotspot right across the street from Paramount, right? Yes. yes. Marchmont Village. I Marchmont. went there. It was one of the first places I ever went when I moved to LA five years ago was Cafe Gratitude. So so, so they started, and he opened Sage actually at Echo Park and Larchmont Cafe Gratitude opened within two weeks of each other. Oh, wow. So, and you know... Our, so I, I think what happens is quarant- pandemic comes, quarantine, restaurant business, tanks, nobody can go inside. So uh, panic sets in, I'm imagining, at this time. And how, to what degree was it like we got to figure something out fast? I mean, you seem like you were uniquely positioned to be able to do something else because you had a farm or at least access to enough farms to do the CSA box. Was it, it super was, stress? It was No, it was like super fast. Like the first okay. two weeks... Just the first two weeks, like March, was it March 15th, March 13th? Something like, like that. It was just like, okay, let's address the restaurant stuff. And then the first, I had started doing, we did like a produce stand in the restaurants, which then people were like, oh, but there were people are breathing on the produce. They're like, how is it any different than the grocery store? But everybody at the beginning was like, remember everything was, was nobody knew. chaos. It was chaos and everybody was like, somebody touched that apple. Should we throw it away? And I'm like, I don't know. What does the grocery store do? <laughs> right. And so, um, but we ended up not doing the produce stand in the restaurant because we, it didn't really work with the model. But well, that was part of what we tried. But within two weeks or three weeks of the shutdown, we had started locations and, and Cafe Gratitude in Venice, actually, originally there was not delivery to your house. You had to pick it up at a location and people were just Venmoing me. And I was like putting it on Instagram and then you would just Venmo me. And then, and it would be like, okay, we're coming in hot to Cafe Gratitude in Venice. And then we like shoo the homeless people out of the area right there. We'd set up a table and people would come and pick them up. Um, And then I think it took another three weeks to get like, uh, oh, we need to buy a routing app. And then we got the routing app and then we got the drivers and it took a little while. We almost got arrested for putting um, little things in people's mailboxes that said, like, we just delivered to your neighbor fresh produce. Would you like nutrient-dense fresh produce organically delivered to your house? And it's apparently illegal to touch people's mailboxes. And someone called the police and said that someone stole mail. And it wasn't me. It was Diego and his sister. And they are young. They're like 22 and 24 and they got pulled over with a helicopter and five police cars ripped out of the car. And they were like, we were just trying to sell you some organic produce. Yeah. Uh, I always felt so bad because it was my idea. I was like, we should, because someone put one in my mailbox in, uh, at one of my locations. And it said like, we just delivered a CSA box to your neighbor. Would you like to right. get delivered on the same day? And I was like, it's a great idea. I'm going to do this. 
And then I made a better one, like a card. It was all pretty. And we printed 5,000 of them. They're still sitting in my garage because it's illegal to touch someone's mailbox. And of course, the police weren't heavy handed at all, I'm sure, right? Leading into into the events that would follow after March that some may recall. (laughs) I, I called the police like so bad and they were like, oh, you can come down here and watch the video. And I'm like, I'm just trying to understand. They were like, what if you saw two people in a white van stopping at your mailbox and touching it? And I was like, so what I heard you say is, what if I saw two strange Latinos in a white van? Because uh, I don't know people in my mailbox every day. Gardeners. That is rough. And the mailman is a white van of sorts, right? I mean, it's okay. So we're anyway, touching on so some other issues here, yeah. Don't put um, those in anybody's mailboxes anymore. Yeah, understood. So, you know, so it sounds like by pure coincidence, I don't know how I found out. about. I think I was Googling it, but it honestly sounds like I literally found out about you guys at more or less the exact same time that you started. Did you um, see that? Maybe it was the, we were on the LA Times. Um, no, I, I, I didn't. I really, really think it was a coincidence because it's something that my wife and I had been talking about forever. And I think we just said, let's look up some CSA boxes. I, I swear it wasn't a promotional thing or a newspaper. I just said, let's look it up. I think it was a Google search. We found it. So from, you know, from my perspective, it seemed like you had always been there doing that. I just Googled and it. It's like, oh, here it is. And I ordered. So yeah, it seemed like you're always there. And, and, um, yeah, I could have been one of your first orders. I don't know. It was probably about March, and it was just a random coincidence. But it was very quickly apparent when we got the first box, um, you know, because we've been we were hardcore vegan for a couple years, let's say ten years ago. Then we were vegetarian since then. I very much care about the Earth and the planet, and for us, it was like Earthlings and Food Inc. and various other movies and publication of the China Study that got us on that train and. Um, you know, so we, we'd always been buying organic when we could afford to do it. Um, and this was something that we'd always wanted to do. So we got this box and when the first one came, it was like a revelation. I have to say, I opened up the thing and I was like, there's no plastic in this box. There's no plastic packaging for the lettuce. It's just a whole bunch of vegetables in a box. We don't need. And it was just like this. Oh my God, no matter what it costs, like we're going to do this for as long as we can forever, always for everything. Um, so it's just been this, this wonderful experience. And like you said, we've been also trying to figure out what to do with all of the herbs and the vegetables and cooking new soups and various things that we hadn't thought of using these herbs. Like, Oh my God, what are we going to do with all these little mini pumpkins? Okay. We're gonna have to figure that one out this week. Or, you know, we got a, we got some eggplants. Now let's do some with that. So it's, it's been truly, truly wonderful. And, you know, I think one of the things that you realize, especially in the pandemic, where there's a lot of questions about how are people going to make money and who are you supporting and why is it that, you know, Amazon, that Jeff Bezos doubles his net worth this year to $200 billion and all of the people that I like on the corner, in the restaurants around me are failing, right? So it's like, there was, there's this moment where it's like, I'm giving money to people that I really support what they're doing instead of some faceless corporation where I don't support what they're doing. And it's just like every aspect of that experience felt really good. And you start to like put those pieces together a little bit. You're like, oh, I'm supporting people who need to be supported right now, a.k.a. you. Um, and I'm getting healthier food for me, which without all that crap and the petroleum-based chemicals, 
there's no plastic, so I'm not putting a whole bunch of garbage out when I get through this box. It's just the box. So it's just like this endless string of like check marks of like good, 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 good. And then the net effect is that the whole thing, you feel really good about the whole thing. And that's something that just like endlessly fascinates me. I love the idea of things like that and with the business attached, right? And I appreciate because um, I don't know. um, We were doing this one pickup location. It was the last standing pickup location. It was in Silver Lake. It just ended recently. We switched people over. But early in the pandemic, it it was gangbusters. And um, we would do between 25 and 50 boxes every Friday at this um, location. And I, I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not going to say what the place is, but it was an organization and they had us come in and it was great. We felt totally supported. And then it just like dive bombed like around summertime. And so, and you know, we had planted, you know, this is now as in the beginning, we were like, okay, what are we, we're just using what we were growing for the restaurants. And like, you could probably see there's more diversity has come as the box has come because we've been now we're planting for the boxes as well as the restaurants. And so we have different things coming and different stuff. Anyways, so we planted the stuff in this, all the it, customers kind of tanked in this one location specifically. And so I sent out a, like a survey monkey or whatever it's called, like mm-hmm. to ask what happened. And literally people were like, mm, I'm not that scared to go to Whole Foods anymore. <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. <laughs> or, you know, I just, if you said me cabbage again, I was just thinking I couldn't <laughs> eat any more. <laughs> that has been the hard, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That has been one of the most challenging to figure out what to do with. But we've, we've you know, there's a Polish dish called gołąbki. You can recommend that to people who ask you on Instagram. It's a cabbage rolls, essentially. Very nice. Can also be made um, vegan. I, yeah. And I, I made a video about how to make pickled cabbage on and sauerkraut. Mm-hmm. Um, I was telling people like you could make sauerkraut or kimchi for Christmas presents, like that you could take the herbs, you could take stuff and you could make a kimchi and ferment it and then put it in little jars and give it to everybody for Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa. It would qualify for Kwanzaa because it's handmade. Um, and so, but, and, or people would be like, I'm just. I want to choose my vegetables. And so I realized that a lot of people were not doing it for those reasons that you just spoke about. And they were just doing it because they were scared of the virus. And then mm. they weren't scared before, so they were done. And um, and so I want to say that I appreciate that you um, have been buying from us. And I appreciate there's some super dope customers out there that have been buying, been buying for friends, been buying for birthday presents, buying add-ons. There's one lady that started out, Casey, shout out to Casey. One of our first customers, every week she texts someone in my office and asks, what are the other things she can add? And she intentionally buys more and has us bring extra stuff all the time to her, like just to support us. And And I know she doesn't need like, persimmons vinegar or whatever like jam or whatever that i made that week but she always calls and asks if there's anything else that she could buy and support and i really appreciate that because i didn't lay off any of my farm workers and i didn't lay off any of my back of house or anybody that wanted to work through the pandemic in the restaurants and that's wonderful 
I think it's really, really important that uh, we think about the people that grow our food. Yeah. And a, a lot of times, and you alluded to like buying organic if you could afford it. And a lot of times people relate to buying organic food Just. as some rich people shit, some yep. white people shit, some privileged shit. Yep. And I have something to say about that. Uh, I'm married to an indigenous man that was undocumented when we got married. And I want to say that people that look like my husband and my husband grow food every day. And my husband has the privilege of working here on the farm with me and there's no chemicals, but people that look just like my husband that are came here overcoming the exact same struggle that my husband is overcoming have to pick strawberries covered in fungicides and have to pick food covered in Roundup and have to pick harvest, spray these chemicals and they get sick and they get cancer and they have miscarriages and they have, uh, you know, deformed babies. And the privilege is actually eating that cheap food that is really abusive and thinking it doesn't matter. And that is it. Cheap food is always abusive food. And if if you believe in social justice and you care about people of color, then you care about what kind of food you buy because black and brown people are harmed by non-organic food more than any other groups. And that goes for in our country, specifically with the migrant workers and outside of our country from South America to Africa. When we are spraying these chemicals, people are touching these chemicals and we have the privilege of saying like, oh, well, because I couldn't afford it, I'm just going to buy this one. But honestly, when we say that here in America, a lot of times what we're saying is because we didn't want to give up something else. And I just want to invite people to make buying food that doesn't harm people a priority mm -hmm. and we don't think about it that way. And vegans are vegans and they are so passionate about the animals. And sometimes I want to say, well, what about the people? Mm. Oh, I'm, I'm vegan for the animals. I don't care if it's organic. Okay. Well, what about the people that have to pick your food? Mm. And then on a purely selfish level, purely, purely selfish for the individual. In 1996, we started spraying all of our grains wheat, oats, barley, corn, but corn was, is a little different, but all of the grass grains, we started spraying them with Roundup mm -hmm. two before harvest. So we could harvest them when we wanted. So we didn't have to wait for them to dry out in the sun, the natural way. We could spray them as soon as summer was started and then they would be dead and ready to combine and we wouldn't have to wait till July or we could spray them and harvest them when the market demanded it. And we think what scientists are saying is that there's this pathway that's in plants that humans don't have that pathway in us. But we're only 50% us and we're 50% microbiology. And the microbiology that's in us, those microbes, they all have that same pathway like a plant. So when we eat Roundup, we kill that off. And our immune system is supported by 
these microbes, these microbes that we've been coexisting with for our whole life. So when you eat sterile food and food that has no life, no microbes on it anymore, and then you're eating bread that has tons of glyphosate in it, and you're eating dairy that had grain fed to the cows that had the glyphosate, mm. what's happening is we're killing off those microbes in our gut. And then we're getting leaky gut and we're getting bad immune systems and we're getting inflammation. And inflammation is the basis for almost all disease. Mm. The fundamental basis for all disease is inflammation. And so we are, we are putting the self, this into ourselves without even thinking about is it okay? Was it ever studied? No, it's not meant for that. It's it's actually a drain cleaner. Roundup is a drain cleaner. Yeah. It was we're meant to be sprayed directly on our food before we eat it. The jury is not out on Roundup. I know people like to say that the jury is out. The jury is not out on Roundup. And people that just sprayed it or was near it when it sprayed have gotten cancer and been paid out and they proved that it came from that. But we have not even begun to see the harm that we have done to ourselves by eating it. And scientists have done studies with rats and glyphosate. And if the rats eat the, if the grant, if the, one rat eats glyphosate, and then they are able to have babies just fine. But their babies, 50% of them cannot have babies. And by the third generation, they can't have any living babies, even though the exposure was only on the grandma rat. That's one little thing. And from in 1996, in 1996, the children in America was one in 5,000 had autism. 1996. Today, it's one in 36. Now, glyphosate is not the only cause, but there is a connection between the gut lining and the brain. There is a connection, and we are ignoring we are, we have cognitive dissidence around Roundup. And so if people say like vegan, 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 I will say, go, go, go. Yes, yes, yes. And stopping right. eating Roundup right. is more important than anything else. Like, yeah. because I don't even know how my children are be because I, I didn't even find out. I found out I'm like organic chef. Do you know, I didn't find out about this till very recently. People started calling me about my beer and they were like, Hey, I'm having terrible gut problems because of Roundup on grains. Is your beer made with organic grains? And I'm like, can you wait? But I, no, but we it's non-GMO. Blah blah blah. Like I just had it. Like Roundup was like Roundup ready corn. Mm. I never even knew about this thing. I just learned about it two years ago, and I did like this deep dive, and then I started paying attention to Zach Bush, who's like one of the premier doctors that's talking about this. But I got really inspired to get food to people that they could feel safe eating. Because how crazy is that, that we're not safe to eat the food? That is really and crazy. So does organic mean no Roundup, just for clarity on that point? Yes, and you can look it up. There was a study that showed that if you just eat it, starting eating organic, organic, in seven days, the Roundup is out of your pee, like you're no longer peeing it out. So your body is trying to get it out of you. Okay. And... And then you have to restore that microbiome in your gut that, right. that you've killed. And that's different than just probiotics. This is like actually the microbes that live in the soil right. that we've been coexisting with all this time. Yeah. And what happens is the food that you get at the grocery store has been, has been sterilized with bleach, with sanitizer, with 
or with PPHPPH, like the high pressure kills my pathogens with high pressure stuff. Mm -hmm. So you might notice that food from my farm does not last as long in your yeah. refrigerator as something that you bought in the grocery store. And it's because I do not sanitize the food. I want to give you the opportunity to have the soil microbes in your yeah. body. And if you want to sterilize your food, you want to sanitize your food. But for hundreds and hundreds of years, think about people went out, they cut a head of cabbage from the garden, they rinsed it off in their sink, chop, 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 and eat it. We've been living with these microorganisms our whole life. And the stomach lining is actually made of microorganisms. They're not us. Out and other things that are just the size of our hair. But when we kill all those microorganisms, we can get leaky gut and inflammation. And even things that are supposed to be good for us, like kale, can be highly agitating to our stomach. And also, you've heard these stories of people that thought they were totally allergic to gluten, and then they went to like Italy or some other country that doesn't do this practice. They were like, and I was eating pasta every day. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. like that yes. happened heard those stories and yes. so obviously some people are allergic to gluten and i don't want anybody that thinks they're not yeah. allergic they're allergic to just go out i'm not a doctor don't just go to italy and eat a bunch of mm -hmm. pasta you have celiacs but we've all heard these stories and i know that for me in the last 20 years the amount of people that are having problems processing grains and having crohn's disease and having all of these stomach issues and is a lot and so this made so much sense to me. And so we've even grown our own grain here on the farm. We grew all the corn for our tamales. Like if you get tamales from the restaurant for Christmas time or whatever, it's seeds from my husband's village in Oaxaca. And we grew the corn. And I'm really excited. Like we make yeah. pancakes with corn from, I mean, we, with wheat from our own farm. And I'm really passionate about people learning about this because yeah. I think that the government is only going to, I know right now we're on a big like expand in the government tip. Mm -hmm. That's the world we're living in. Everybody wants more government. But the thing about the free market is that it, it adjusts and has to look at its mistakes and adjust in a truly free market that's not subsidized. And right now, our lots of parts of our market is subsidized by the government. And I'd like people to stand up and say, okay, you want to subsidize farmers. Yeah, subsidize the subsidize right thing. I know. Quit subsidizing the bullshit, factory farming and all that stuff. I, yeah, I've, that's very disappointing about the United States as it currently is. And, and so you know, I'm big on Well, I was going to say, for, for what it's worth, uh, I have told everybody I know since getting this to get your CSA box. I don't know if any of them became customers, but I tell everybody. This is part of me spreading the word. Um, if it tips somebody else, uh, you know, convince somebody else to do it. But I do take issue with one point that you said earlier about uh, the food yes. looking worse. Uh, I would argue that that is horseshit. It looks better in every single way than food I've seen in the grocery store. Um, I don't think it looks worse at all. Yes, there might be like a scar, but everything looks so. I mean, it's like the greenest greens, like the darkest kale. I mean, it's so obviously healthier, tastier. And like, you know, you have that tomato and then you have another tomato from the store. The difference is night and day. It's not even just like this is the same. No, it's and infinitely I, it, better. I, people call me and it say, tastes this is better. You had cracks at the top. And I'm like, yeah, everyone tomatoes crack at the top. I, I would never, ever. That's just stupid. I'm sorry. Like, I would never, ever say that. No, it's, it's awesome. Everything has been incredible. And, you know, yeah. So, so that is, that is, you know. Just don't even think about that. Don't listen to those people. Forget them. 
they're not important. But one of the things that I, I did want to talk about here is, you know, I know that in the beginning it was regenerative. That's what it said on the box. Now you've gotten organic certified, right? Or is that what can you talk a little bit about what the difference is between being regenerative or being organic? Or are they related? Um, so we were always growing organic, but it mm -hmm. takes like three years to get your certification or three years yeah. from the last time that anything chemicals were sprayed. And so, and they, and it took us a little bit of time, even like when we had passed the three years since the chemicals getting sprayed on our land, like before we had it, they had a hard time, like with the compost coming from the restaurants and they had, they were just struggling with that. Like if there was a chain of custody issue, we eventually explained to them, there's no chain of custody. It's like, we're buying organic produce in the restaurant. The organic produce is coming back to the farm as compost. We're feeding it to the worms. And then that's turning into fertilizer. But it seemed like we weren't putting enough inputs. Basically, they thought we weren't buying enough fertilizer, organic fertilizer, to make sense for how much mm. we were growing. We okay. got it all sorted out. And we got our certification. And we got, like, plaque. And it's very exciting. It took a lot of paperwork and um, a lot of time. And I do think it's crazy that you can spray harmful chemicals and you could just do that for free. But if you want to prove that you're not doing that, you have to pay money um, and and save every receipt and send mm -hmm. them and buy seeds that are not organic. You have to show how you looked for the seeds that were organic and you couldn't find them. And so you have to show like your Google searches. Like if I buy, let's say I buy some seeds that are not organic, I have to show that I Google searched and I have to screenshot those Google searches. It's like crazy pants. Uh, but, and so organic means that you're growing sands for uh, petroleum-based fertilizers, harmful chemicals, and all of that. Okay. Generative doesn't have a certification yet, and probably soon it will, and then I'll have to stop using regenerative until they until I get certified. But regenerative means that you're pulling down more carbon uh, then you're taking out of the soil. So year over year, you're soil testing and I'm building soil, I'm building humus, I'm building organic matter in the ground. So if you think of the top eight to 10, 12 inches of topsoil as a sponge and you think of the cycle of life, carbon goes up into the air and then it break, turns into plants, whatever dies, comes back down, breaks down, goes into the microbes, becomes food for the microbes and in a circle. So right now we're out of balance. We've put, we've taken a lot of fossil fuels from the fossil pool and put it up as well as burning rainforests and all the other things that we've done to put too much carbon up. And so regenerative farming is when you are actively practicing pulling carbon down. It's also called carbon farming, where you're farming more carbon into the ground. And so you are taking steps to reverse climate change. And there's carbon neutral farming. That's different. You're just like keeping it the same. You're not zero. Paying. Yeah. That's kind of like sustainable. Sustainable doesn't work. We're not sustaining. We actually have to go. We have to grow. Okay. Yep. And Regenerative means that we are growing um, soil microbes as a priority and growing the and uh, prioritizing taking carbon out. And that looks like holistic planned grazing. We don't till. We uh, it's so no till or low till holistic planned grazing. So like instead of getting a tractor out and tilling through a bed 
after we're taking out kale, we'll put some sheep in a pen that's mobile and we move the sheep along and move them three or four times a day and they eat all the kale and clean up all the weeds and then we take the sheep out and then we clean up the bed and we plant the new plants instead of using a tractor to till it all up. So we that's, partner with our animals. Okay, that's awesome. In, uh, so, I mean, at this point, things have changed. You know, now you've, you've, you've shifted business models in the past. Do you feel more at home with the restaurants now or do you feel like the CSA farm thing, is that more the future or is it, is it temporary till you can get back to the restaurants as it were, or has your perception of the future changed from all of this? Um, I, the restaurants are still there. I, I would like to have a farm. I looked at some locations to have a farm stand out here in Ventura somewhere. I, I like the direct marketing to people and like people I like selling produce that we're growing directly um, to the people. And I I had thoughts in the, like we were working on franchising and all this before the pandemic. And I, I'm more in the mindset now is like small is beautiful. Like I, I don't need to grow the best kale in the world for the whole world, but if I can grow the best kale for you and another 150 or 250 people, that would be awesome. And then somebody else can, and I don't need to be the best vegan restaurant in the world. Like if I can be the best, most sustainable vegan restaurant in Los Angeles, then that would be awesome. And, and so I'm more as a small as I, the pandemic made me realize that like everything's going to a big conglomerate and I, I want to push back against that. And that like small is, um, is beautiful. And I think there's, there's lots of stuff that people already wanted to implement in their businesses to eliminate people. And now they're just doing it. Like I, some, a drunk driver drove through my fence and then it's like, I can just go out there with my phone and walk around the car that he smashed into and da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, how long was Geico trying to get rid of those people? And now they just got to get rid of those people because it's a health hazard for them to come take pictures of the car or whatever. You know yeah. what I mean? So Definitely. I want to push back against like just getting bigger and having less humans. And, um, and I want to grow food that takes humans to grow it. And I want to yeah. employ humans and partner with humans and partner with animals. And um, it, it's amazing. Agriculture has gone to this world where it's like one man in a tractor and a white suit can take care of thousands of acres mm. and nobody's stewarding the earth. And you should see people drive past my farm all the time, like slow looking. And I was like, what you looking at? And they're like, it's like a real live farm. <laughs> and I'm like, I read about those in the history books. With people working or when that thing, the accident happened the other day, the fire department came out and he was like, you know, and it's COVID. And he's like, oh, there's a, how many cars are here? And I was like, I mean, I don't know. You could count them just uh, sex cars and you have all these people are here. And I'm like, yeah, we're growing food the old fashioned way that takes people to do it. And then he laughed. He's like, I like her. And I was like, I mean, it just people we're in a world where it's just going like everything is remote, but growing food can't be remote unless we want to eat like lab food and crickets or whatever. But I want to eat. I want to eat different colored carrots that came out of the earth and different colored radishes that came out of the earth that are old seeds and not the most effective growing one that you can grow thousands mm -hmm. of exact same carrots that are all the exact same size. I want that little weird carrot. And 
So, and I, I think there's still people that want the little weird twisted carrot and want food that looks Definitely. Normal. And well, along those lines, to what extent do you think that somebody could do what you're doing outside of California? I mean, there are many negative parts of California, but obviously we have this ideal climate where you can get avocados and citrus, you know, basically year round. Is this something that you see happening everywhere or is it really climate region specific? Um, I grew up in New York and we subscribed to a CSA when I was growing up and, um, the and CSA, was it like only squash or was it actually, it's a, it's a shorter season. So, and you okay. pay the way it was in the way most CSAs that are in cold climates, you actually mm. pay for the whole season. So let's say you pay for your CSA share, like $400 or something, and you're going to get 10 boxes through the summer or whatever, but you pay up front and oh. so that the farmer is able to get through the season that's what csa stands for community supported agriculture and so you're you're you buy your csa share and there's usually um there's a finite amount of shares and so and then and then pe- so the, if the farmer sells you know 200 and then he has to do these 10 boxes for 200 people for the season and it's just a shorter season. So year round, obviously, I mean, you can't, that's why California, that's why people deal with all of the big government and still live here because it's, uh, it's the, the, the weather and the pretty amazing uh, food. I had this friend, she's like super strict vegan. She's like, I'm thinking about moving to Montana. And I was like, really? Well, what are you going to eat nine months of the year? And I was like, are you going to become a hunter? Because I just like, I, I, it's beautiful there, but I just can't the cold winters. And I grew up in New York. I know what it is to be vegan and live in New York and eat iceberg lettuce and carrots all winter. Cause that's all it's going to travel. Right. To. Parsnips maybe. Parsnips. Plenty of parsnip soup. <laughs> yes. And um, so that, yeah. you know, I don't know. I, but I think in Florida, I think there's obviously places that it could happen uh, more year round. But I mean, I, you had cherry tomatoes in your box this week, right? Yes. Like yeah. That I grew outside of the greenhouse. Yeah. So like, that's crazy. Wonderful. I think I just posted that on Instagram, like December, cherry tomatoes, right. December is Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. And obviously, you know, so that we don't offend anybody who is listening, who doesn't live in California or Florida, obviously doing what you can is still, you know, it's better to be eating carrots from the CSA in New York or Montana. It's better to be, you know, supporting whoever you can, however you can, than doing nothing at all or just going to Whole Foods, right? Oh, to be clear, wherever you are. And my friends in New York, I when I posted that thing, like, hey, I posted the survey monkey, but I also posted on Instagram, like, Hey, we have our sales of our box have gone down. Does anybody have any feedback that they'd like me to respond to? That was in July or whatever. All my friends that are, cause I grew up in New York. All my friends in New York were like, really? We're all on wait list. We can't even get like, it's all wait listed. There's no shares of CSAs available. So uh, we're also a little spoiled here in California to be clear, like that we get to have avocados year round and, I mean, we're so spoiled that people are like, when am I going to stop getting these thin-skinned avocados? And I was like, well, let me just call up Mexico and order you some hosses because they're not ready yet. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the Stuart avocados. Those are the ones that are ready this time of year. And they'll go into bacons and then Zutatos and then Haas will be back in February, March. But people don't realize that you can't just have whatever you want 
whenever you want because mm-hmm. there is seasons even here in California. Sure. No, Which for I'm sure. Ready for. for sure, we need to support farming wherever we are. And the other thing is that par- farmers don't want to just be growing soybeans and corn but they've had to grow and grow and grow and like go scale and scale and scale to survive. And, and that is also the consumers get to drive that as well. Like the more people buy from local farms, the more that local farmers can do something different. And so it's really important to buy um, as local and as possible. And it doesn't just go for farming. It's for everything. And we're so, and I'm at fault. Like there's Amazon boxes getting delivered with kids presents right now on my front porch. Like I don't feel good about it, but we shouldn't shame ourselves about where we can't do better or we're not doing better, but we do need to strive in every area of our lives to support local businesses. There's, I I live in a tiny small town and most of the downtown is like boarded up right now. And with COVID, the last businesses that were standing are closing up too. And it, yeah. it, I, I'm still going to drive to Peterson's Hardware in down in right here and buy some parts or whatever for the PVC for the irrigation or whatever because. And the, I have a handyman that works on the farm. Sometimes he's like, "I'll just go to Lowe's; it's cheaper." And I was like, "No, no, 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 go to yeah. go to Peterson's. you know." And so. It's it's hard um, for businesses to get people to care in in any kind of way. Like we're at risk of going out of business. Like everything that's going on with the restaurants right now, and I'm literally begging people on the internet to order directly from us, to not to order from the third parties. Mm, or what's happening app. with those? Yeah, got an app. We bought cars. I hired drivers. And I'm pleading, I'm begging, I'm putting a postcard in every one with me and my husband and all my chefs explaining, please support us. Please let us keep people employed. Please stop ordering through Postmates and Uber. I can't even get 10% adoption. I cannot get 10% adoption. Like, so any part that you're doing is great. And so I don't want people to like what I don't want people to think like, Oh, I can't do that. Cause I live here or whatever. There's so many ways to support the little guy. And it's so important. Mm-hmm. If we want independence of thought, if we want independence of anything, there needs to be independence. And if we all just buy our food from the same place and we all go to the same online curriculum and we all just eat the same food and have the same banking system. Like there needs to be independence. And that's what we're, what we're at risk of losing through this pandemic is all the independence. Well, that is a beautiful sentiment and I wholeheartedly agree. And I hope everybody else does too. Um, thank you so much for your time. I, I, this has been awesome. Really, really glad I reached out to you. Um, I do have, a rapid fire question or two to round it out, if you're okay with that. Um, okay. And the, the first is, let's say there's somebody out there who wants to do something similar, who maybe wants to start a similar business, but they don't know where to begin. What advice would you have to the person who might want to follow in your footsteps? 
for the the boxes? Yeah, yeah, just, you know, building a business out of sustainable agriculture or regenerative agriculture. I think diversify, diversify, diversify. Like, I think if you have land and then you want to have multiple small incomes coming into the land. And, and, and it's the thing about regenerative and organic is you want to have diversity of plants anyway, but it's also like diversity of incomes. Like we are doing these boxes. And then I also, we do our dry products that are not in the boxes, but we sell them to local bakeries. We have wheat and triticale and popcorn. And those are like another micro income. And then we sell to the restaurants and that's another micro, um, income and so and there's a farm stand in town and we sell to them and so you want to have a lot of diversity of things that you can do to make money off of your land or whatever um, project that you're doing because we're at the mercy of the wind or the air or the weather and so when the tomato gods give you tomatoes make sun-dried tomatoes so when the winter gods take away your broccoli, you have, you know, I have all this stuff that's like my backup. If I all of a sudden don't have a lot of fresh stuff for your guys's boxes, I have like sun-dried tomatoes we'll and all, this all. Stuff. that's my backup. Like if we have a short week, I'm going to put this in or you've Send probably got like, you've probably got jam or eggplant spreader. Oh, yeah. There's, it was wonderful. Like, Love we it. didn't, have, we didn't have this. So I had to put yeah. a little extra thing in. So right. I'm constantly like preparing for, and having like diversity. And then I I think that you want to have a community of people that support what you're doing to help you and that are not fully just there for the paycheck. Because in any business that you're starting, you may not, there may not be the paycheck every month. There may not be the, um, and I have an awesome um, community around me. I, I We have a lot of people that live here on my farm and some of them work on the farm and some of them work in my restaurants and, um, and everybody here helps out. And I feel really grateful for that. And, um, yeah, so people are all uh, having people to help is really important because farming never ends. Animals need to be fed every day. Things need to be watered every day and things need to be harvested every day. There is no day off. So when you're, thinking about doing a sustainable agriculture business where like this, where you're actually the producer of the thing. Uh, it's like growing pot. There's no days off for a pot grower. There's no days off. for a <laughs> um, And so, um, and then I would say that get out of your own way, whatever business you're starting, agriculture, restaurant, anything. I'd say nine times out of 10 people are in their own way. They're thinking it out too much to the point that they're not, they're making up problems that haven't arised yet and then talking themselves out of their good idea because they're terrified. And if you're not scared, you're not doing something worth doing because if you're not scared, you're not playing a big enough game. And so don't talk yourself out of it. Take the next step and take the next step and take the next step. And you know how many ideas I've had that we, I didn't follow through on? A lot. But the universe will tell you or God or whatever you believe in, whatever your deity is. Um, but, you know, there's been, I've had whole business plans and hired architects and da, 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 and then it falls through. And, and in the moment, it feels like it's the whole end of the world. And then something else appears or emerges. And I go, oh, wow, like if I had done that, I wouldn't have been able to do this. And so always 
me and my dad have a saying with each other, take the next step. I'll call them all excited about something. I'm like, I don't know, I'm buying this other bar. Nah, nah, nah. I'm like, take the next step. Sounds good. Take the next step. And it, it just, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It just means that you're going to take those next steps and then you'll either end up with something or not. But I find that people think about it too much. They research about it too much and they get in their own way instead of just taking the next step. Be in action. Well, I can think of no better way to end our discussion than that. So again, thank you. That is truly awesome. I've really enjoyed this. Um, and to everybody listening, support that. It's Sawa Heart Farm, S-O-W-A. So, oh, so, sorry, Sawa. So. Me fail English? That's impossible. Um, Sawa Heart Farm, S-O-W-A Heart dot com and the other one is ayala farms that's your partner right at a y a l a farms and sage vegan bistros around california los angeles area pasadena echo park culver city and what was the fourth one agora hills agora hills and if you want to keep it in the family cafe gratitude for the older generation um but molly thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it Thank you so much. And um, and everybody that buys a box will also be contributing to trading farmers in regenerative agriculture because $1 goes to kiss the ground for every box that we sell. Sounds good. And with that, podcast over. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Often Path podcast. If you've been enjoying this show, please like, comment, share, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to me on YouTube. It would mean the world to me. Also, do you have an unusual success story or do you know someone who does? Well, please recommend them to me. They could be a future guest on this show. Maybe they've rolled the largest boulder down the mountains of Tibet, or maybe they built the world's largest chicken farm in Madagascar. The point is, I don't know what I don't know, so I'm looking for inspiration and unusual success stories. So help me by being a part of this adventure. I'm looking to grow this podcast with you. Thanks again for listening.